Welcome to the Renegade Disciple Podcast, where we use Christian theology to try to make sense of what the hell is going on in the world around us, and horror movies to try to cope with whatever the hell this is going on around us. I'm your fellow traveler, David Dickey, semi-professional theologian and lifelong horror movie fiend. This is now our third Sunday update and reflection episode. Welcome to the second Sunday in Easter on the Christian calendar. We're still celebrating the resurrection of Jesus and the reflection later on at the end of the episode, but first we're going to do some announcements about the show, some news updates, and talk about what horror movies I've been watching just like last week. But before we get started, make sure you rate, review, subscribe, like, share, do whatever it is you do to share about and offer feedback related to your favorite podcasts and help grow the show a little bit around here. I appreciate each and every one of y'all for being here to listen. Let's dive in. Right off the bat, I'll just say from the beginning, this is going to be a little bit of a smaller Sunday compared to last Sunday, just because we're in the midst of two parts of our deep dive for the subject of this month, dealing with the rights of LGBT peoples, uh, especially the current attacks on the trans community. You can go back and remember to listen to part one of that that dropped last Wednesday, if you haven't heard it already. And... Coming up this Wednesday, we'll have part two, where I get a little bit more into the personal aspect of this issue for me, how I've personally changed on the topic, and why it's so important. So make sure you've heard part one, and be gearing up for part two, because that's coming this Wednesday. And with it getting to be a little larger than it was at the beginning of the planning stages, that's why the Sunday update this week is just a little bit more condensed. I think this topic is of the utmost importance to our culture right now. I think it's the one that's right up in our face, and I think it's the one that we should be sounding the alarm over. That's why I'm taking more time with this first deep dive, using the things I've read and experienced and worked with in theology to make more sense of the predicament that we find ourselves in, and hopefully to find a way out of it. But that doesn't mean there's not any fun things or important things going on in the world around us or in my own life to share about this week. So to start off, just like last week, why don't you go ahead and ask me what horror movies and shows I watched? Go ahead. Ask. Oh, you want to know what horror movies and shows I watched this week? Well, let me tell you. We're still in full binge mode of making our way through The Walking Dead again. We transitioned from season two to season three this week, and ending season two, I just will reiterate what I was leaning towards last week, that I will put season two of The Walking Dead up against any other season of any other television show ever. You can come at me with The Wire or Breaking Bad or the best of Game of Thrones, whatever it is, this was just as good of television. It's so good right now. And now we're into season three, and getting into season three, what it means is right there in episode one is the line that my wife and I quote to each other all the time. The line that for years I thought the meme was just an exaggeration, that it it couldn't have been that bad of a line in the episode as what people said in the meme about Rick doing stuff and things. Y'all remember those memes like Rick's doing stuff and things, stuff and things. Rick's so busy doing stuff and things that he can't do anything else. So like for years my wife and I would just say I'm doing stuff and I'm doing things when we would be like what are you doing? Right there. Episode one of season three. Lori comes up to Rick and asks what he's doing or trying to press him to to do more, you know, to get back with the group and to lead the group and to inspire the group because they need him. And Rick, without missing a beat, I'm doing stuff, Lori. Thangs. I'm doing stuff, Lori. Thangs. 
that's hilarious and might be indicative of an immediate drop of quality in just a little manner at least compared to those heights I was bragging about from season two, but it's still so good doing stuff, Lori. Thanks. It's like Rick has the same dose of ADHD I have going on, and every time we're walking around trying to figure out what we're going to do next, or how to work on this, or, or we're in the middle of four projects at once, and somebody's like, hey, you look like the Tasmanian Devil, what's going on? Stuff! Thanks! Can't quite get it out. Hilarious. Also here in Season 3, we've got ourselves the Governor. The governor was such a good villain. And also, connecting back to horror movies, the governor connects to a supernatural movie that is one of my wife's favorites, uh, The Reaping. I don't know if y'all have ever seen that movie, but there's some weird stuff going on in a small town in the south, and like the plagues of Egypt are happening in that town, and this anthropologist, archaeologist type lady goes to investigate, and I don't know, they're trying to birth the Antichrist and have sacrifices or something. It is an insane movie, but the governor is the villain. Same actor, playing kind of the same character because he makes you think that he's nice most of the movie and then turns at the very end. Kind of how they go at pains to make you wonder, is the governor actually a good leader and everybody's paranoid about him, or is he actually crazy? But he's actually crazy. So if you've never seen The Reaping, it's not that great of a film, but it's really entertaining. I'd recommend to go watch it. I'm also still watching Tales from the Crypt to fall asleep to at night. I think I've hit the point in the series where the Crypt Keeper is doing a lot more, but the stories that are being told are doing a lot less, if that makes any sense. I don't know, I'm sure there'll be some more peaks and valleys as we go, but it's still fun to fall asleep to, and I still love that intro. Other than that, it was kind of a busy week, and I'm in that in-between time period of the year for my horror movie watching where winter movies are done, but I don't really want to dive into my summer movies yet because I'll get through all of them way too early and run out of movies, so I'm kind of in a holding pattern. I watched Congo this week, if that counts, because the horror show did it for their episode of their podcast, and it reminded me of just how awesome of a movie that was and how much I loved it when it came out when I was a kid, and I have to agree with their analysis. Is there a more 90s cast in any film ever go pull up the imdb page of congo and look at the cast it's fantastic in the end i still enjoyed watching the movie again probably more for nostalgia reasons than for quality of the film itself but hey man you can never go wrong with mutant apes guarding king solomon's secret minds can you but that's pretty much it for the movie and show roundup for the week. What about y'all? Are y'all watching anything? Anything you want to recommend that I should watch here in my in-between phase of the year? Always remember you can reach out with suggestions or questions or, or anything at Renegade Disciple Podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. That's Renegade Disciple Podcast at gmail.com. I've got some things that I want to watch this week that I'm looking forward to, but I'll tell you about that next week. So let's move on to the next section of our update. Once again, for a quick news roundup, this is the place where you would imagine that old Morse code beeping sound that radio shows would do when they had breaking news coming in, you know, the beep, 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 And if I were a better podcast producer, I'd insert that sound effect into the episode right here. But since I'm not, you'll just have to use your imaginations and hear me awkwardly beep in the middle of an episode. A couple follow-ups from last week's news stories. The former president, who shall not be named, in addition to being indicted last week, had a day-long deposition in the lawsuit that's been filed against his business and himself and his children for the fraud committed in businesses in New York. 
Also connected to one of last week's stories, the people of Nashville, Tennessee, and the city council stood up to the fascism in the state legislature and reappointed the two Democratic reps who were removed from office for participating in protests on the heels of the mass shooting down there, which is great news, and hopefully they'll keep it up, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, the state house buckled, at least seemingly now. They're not going to seek vengeance against the city of Nashville, but we'll have to keep our eyes peeled and pay attention at what types of retaliation may come in the future but for now democracy holds if by ever so slight a sliver and i gotta let y'all know i'm getting real tired of democracy holding in america by ever so slight of a thread i guess outside of that the dominant headline in the news this week was all about the leaked pentagon papers and the person who leaked them getting arrested and where they come from and what they were about this was intelligence related to the war in ukraine most experts i've seen and things i've read up about it said that there's some truth mixed in with untruth in the information that was leaked it has some telltale signs of the things putin does to muddy the waters when it comes to information and misinformation and truth and that's a good reminder that we probably should be really careful that in our fight for freedom and our fight for information and our fight to get information out there we don't become a tool of bad actors who want to just manipulate our passion in order to get their own propaganda out there which is a classic tool of putin's and russia's and honestly of the united states working elsewhere in the world i'm sure things are never quite as simple as oh here's some leaked information and it's just the facts ma'am and just read into it what it says on the surface. Reality is always a little more complicated than that. And the kid who was arrested, he's an airman. He thought probably that he was a freedom fighter and that he's trying to get facts out there. And really, he just wound up being a tool. That's something you never want to be. There's also this weird fact about the situation that it was first leaked on Discord threads and then in other small basement dweller places of the internet. And they said the original group was a group that was united for their love of God and country and guns. God and country and guns. I gotta let y'all know, one of those things is mutually exclusive to the other two, and I really wish more people were able to see that. But hey, that's what I'm doing here, and that's why this show exists, to help more folks be able to see that. So that's our update for the week. If you could do whatever it is you do to support the show, share it around, get more people's ears listening, if you so choose, stay tuned for the Sunday Reflection coming up just after the music break. Otherwise, rate, review, subscribe, like, share, all that good stuff. Email me at renegadediscipplepodcast at gmail.com, and we'll see you on Wednesday. God bless y'all. Today is Sunday, April 16th, 2023 second Sunday of Easter. The gospel reading this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 20, verses 10 to 31. There we read, When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. 
Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me, and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here we have the famous story of Doubting Thomas, the source of that same phrase in our culture, don't be a Doubting Thomas. Thomas gets a pretty bad rap down through the centuries, which I think is a bit undeserved. I mean, imagine his situation. He gave up everything and left home to follow Jesus, who he thought was the Messiah, God's chosen liberator of him and his people from all forms of oppression. Like most, he probably thought that especially meant liberation from Rome. And yet, he watched Jesus get arrested and murdered in public by those very Roman oppressors. Few of us have had such existential crisis in life. When everything you've believed in fails and you have to start over from scratch, after having made a big, bold stand, all under the backdrop of being closely associated with someone who the government just executed as a terrorist, I imagine the deepest forms of grief disappointment, aimlessness, and paranoia all wrapped up in Thomas, and understandably so. It would be weird if he wasn't in that state, honestly. And now imagine feeling all of that, and then the rest of your friends start to tell you that the very events that have broken you so far down have in fact been undone, that Jesus has come back from the dead, and that all is well. Here we're back to what I touched on last week. Everyone in this story is well aware that people stay dead once they go into that state. The very fact this story exists in the Bible is evidence that the Bible is upfront about how the claim of Jesus' resurrection sounds to rational readers. It doesn't shy away from the tension or deny that the claim is absurd. It agrees about the absurdity and is adamant that, nonetheless, the absurd has happened. But Thomas can't get there on the testimony of the other disciples alone. And to be fair, could you? Or might you even be offended that your friends would even claim such a thing? especially so soon since the tragedy, while the wounds are still so raw and the grief still so fresh. No, Thomas would not believe such a thing unless he saw it with his own eyes and felt it with his own hands. So, and this is the important part that I think so many folks miss when they hear this story, God gives Thomas exactly what Thomas needs. Thomas needs proof and is given proof and believes and is accepted. Sure, Jesus said folks who are able to believe without seeing are even more blessed, but he doesn't kick Thomas out of the group for his questions or his need to see and touch and know. Thomas isn't ostracized from the other disciples simply because he needs evidence. His faith is accepted just like everyone else's, and all available testimony after the fact says that he went on to serve and spread the good news about Jesus in just as a committed way as any of the others, earning himself a martyr's death over his refusal to stop living out this truth that at first he seemed so reluctant to accept. You know, something that stands out when I look at this story about Thomas is it kind of goes against the popular notion that Christianity is about blindly following after things without evidence. I think that is pretty overblown to begin with. It's a catchy meme to latch onto if you want to criticize religion in general, but it misses a whole lot of nuance and winds up being good evidence that you don't actually know what you're talking about. 
It would appear that God and Jesus are mostly fine with Thomas's need for evidence because they give him just that, the evidence he needs, and then honor his belief right alongside of everyone else's. Maybe a part of faith is about trusting that if there's something that you so desperately need to be able to accept these claims about God and about reality, good and evil, life and death that Christianity makes, God will provide it. And that it's okay to have your doubts and questions along the way because God is big enough for them and has infinite patience for you. God can't be stumped or offended by our questions, but probably welcomes them from earnest seekers. Can doubts and questions sometimes be brought up in bad faith? Sure, we see that happen every day at our jobs and especially in our political discourse, but I bet that happens much less than we think when it comes to these, the big issues of life and religion. I think most people are earnest seekers one way or the other who are able to accept what's been presented to them of religion so far, or they aren't. I found the so-called bad faith actors you might come across from time to time who seek to shock and shut down earnest conversation with what they proudly think are showstopper questions are often working from a place of hurt and anger, which is usually obvious from their discourse and which is something that requires compassion, not combativeness. Understanding, not debate. No, I believe it's okay to need some kind of epistemic justification for your beliefs. Most serious religious folks I've ever met or read do just that. In my own education and teaching, I talk a lot about basing our claims about God on four sources. The Christian scriptures, studied in their context and allowed to speak for themselves, of course. The great leaders and thinkers who have wrestled with the same questions we do over the last 2,000 years of our tradition, which, as I always point out to my students, is a list that includes an awful lot of the smartest people who have ever lived. So we don't have to do this work all on our own. We don't have to act like we're the first person to be stumped by or wrestle with such questions. We have conversation partners and good guides along the way. We use the full faculties of human reason, which to me includes both our individual individual ability to think through our beliefs with logic and the testimony of the sciences about reality. And we also use our experiences of the world and life and other humans to shape our beliefs. The sources exist in constant conversation with one another, and sometimes three sources can overrule one when there's sufficient testimony to do so. For me and many others, this is what it means to love the Lord with all of our minds. As the Great Commandment says, doubts and questions are vital to that process. So let's take it a little easy on Thomas. He seemed to be doing just fine in the end. The last thing I'd be remiss to point out is that this is a great passage to talk about the mystery of Jesus' resurrected body. One that clearly maintains some physicality as Thomas is indeed able to touch the places where the nails and the spear pierced him, but can also appear and disappear at will in rooms with locked doors. In the next chapter of John, we have a story that involves the resurrected Jesus eating a meal with his disciples. So this body eats and drinks. But also in that story, just like when Mary first saw him at the tomb in last week's passage, they don't quite recognize him at first. All of this is true, and I'll never deny that there's an element of mystery here, but that mystery definitely includes physicality. It doesn't exclude it. It's physical and something else. I read a great article in the Christian Century this week from Melissa Flora Bixler that touched on this. She wondered about the microbes and the bacteria and all of the other forms of life that live inside each of us and are so vital to physical life. Necessary. Did they also rise with Jesus? Such an interesting question to ponder. Over the course of the article, she leans towards yes, because to her, what's going on in the resurrection of Jesus is, is the restoration of the whole of creation. Resurrection isn't just about humans, it's about all of God's creation that has been subjected to entropy, death, and decay. We focus on ourselves so much when we talk about these things, but we are just a small piece of God's universe. And if we are raised, 
healed, and brought into perfection, how much more so will it be true for the rest of everything else that God has made and called good? God is the savior of everything, from the microbes in our guts to our own human lives. Whatever you think the hope of eternity is, God's eternity is bigger than that. That's the hope of the resurrection. It's big enough even for doubt. The following prayer that I'll close with is adapted from one I found on JesuitResource.org from Xavier University. Will you pray with me? Draw us forth, God of all creation. For you alone are the resurrection and the life. You go before us and call us into a future that's beyond our wildest dreams. Give us the wisdom to hear your call and the courage to follow after it, no matter the cost. Draw us forward and away from limited certainty into the immense world of your love. Give us the capacity to taste the richness of the feast that you give us, if even for a moment. Give us the peace to live with uncertainty, with doubts, with questions. Help us to experience the resurrection anew and with open wonder and an increasing ability to see you in the people of Easter. Amen. God bless y'all.